Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hey everybody, welcome into the Rocky Top Rewind, VolQuest.com and on the VolQuest YouTube channel. Please hit that like button and subscribe if you haven't already. I am Eric Kane, that man is Brent Hubs, and there's plenty to discuss on the first day of the new year 2023. Happy New Year to you and yours from uh, all of us over here at VolQuest. Brent Hubs, it was a fun weekend, it was a fun week being down in Miami covering this uh, Tennessee team in preparations for the Orange Bowl, but the game was played and... Tennessee kind of controlled throughout 31 14 the final score Tennessee wins uh, 11 games for the first time since 2001 in a game where sure at times it kind of got dicey but really it went up 14 nothing and Tennessee never looked back no and I, I think it starts with Tim Banks's defense we'll talk a lot about Joe Milton we'll talk a lot about a lot you know a lot of different things from the game and from the season in general moving forward but I think if you're looking for optimism and and, and there's plenty of it in this Tennessee football program uh, but Eric I think you have to like the last eight quarters of football you've seen out of Tennessee's defense did they play two juggernauts on offense no uh, they they didn't I mean Vanderbilt's not very good and uh, Clemson's obviously had some offensive struggles but I can tell you this Clemson had a ton of confidence offensively going into that game they thought they kind of found themselves uh, with, with the quarterback and and some things and uh, Tennessee did a really good job early in the run game, uh, slowing that down and shutting that down. And I, I thought Clemson panicked a little bit um, a, a couple of times in, in terms of just, um, you know, kind of abandoned the run. I thought they could run the ball more in the fourth quarter. I didn't think the game was completely out of reach at that point, um, but but they they elected not to do that. And, and uh, I think that played into Tennessee's hands. But um, just like, you know, liked a lot of the individual things you saw out of this team defense. You know, just, uh, that, that's kind of the way that's kind of the way it looks and, and kind of the way it feels like. So um, fun week, fun game. You know, I think a great way to cap off that season. Um, and, you know, now you turn the page on the next one. We'll do more of that throughout the hour. But certainly it was a, it was a fun football game and, and a nice, nice weather week in, in Miami. I enjoyed rewatching the game. I will say that I'm not going to pick on the, the Orange Bowl, but my, my view of watching that game live was not nearly as uh, informative as watching that game on replay. So uh, I felt like I learned more today rewatching that game than I typically do in a rewatch. But um, again, fun, fun night of football, fun for the Tennessee fans. This has been a great fun year to cover for us. I mean, it's just been, you know, I, I think winning's great and, and, and winning makes everything fun. I know I'm rambling a little bit here, Eric, but covering a team that's likable matters too. And this is a likable group of guys. And this has been a likable group to cover all year long. And, and they've been fun to cover and they've been fun to watch play. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, it is, uh, it's a whole lot more fun and enjoyable when you're covering a team that matters, a team that um, has fun doing it, a team that's good at interacting. And so that's been this team all year long. Michael, David, uh, we see you guys. Victor, we see you. Appreciate you guys for jumping in. We'll take your questions all night long. We'll bump your super chat questions to the front. Uh, and of course, we always do appreciate that. Uh, but more on that defense here in a moment. And Victor, I know I know you want to talk Joe Milton. We're going to get there. But let's not bury the lead here. I mean, you know, Tennessee, it's, it certainly bent 
you know, I wrote a story on, on Saturday afternoon. It certainly bent, but it didn't break. It was very NFL-esque, if you will, where it gave up a lot of plays. Not not a lot of plays. It gave up like a lot of yards. And, of, of course, Clemson helped you out there. But something that you kind of pointed out there, uh, you know, on, on Saturday night, Clemson, all seven of its offensive drives in the first half ended on Tennessee's side of the field, one of which was a field goal that it actually made. In all, Clemson had 11 offensive possessions end on Tennessee's side of the field. It was impressive, and I thought nobody in real time, rewatching the game, nobody jumped off the tape like Aaron Beasley did. He's been good this year, Brent. He was fantastic in the Orange Bowl. Four, uh, 12 tackles, two sacks, four TFLs. He had a pass breakup. He had another one that was called for interference that, ah, you know, as a, as a defender, kind of kind of whatever there. But Aaron Beasley was great. Solon Page in his final game in a Tennessee career, you know, career backup and has gotten a lot more playing time the last two years. He made the start, had 10 tackles. Tennessee got good play out of its linebackers. Tennessee got good play out of its front four that pressured Kate Klubnick all night long. And I just thought this was a really nice defensive effort to where, sure, it gave up some, but it didn't give up any points. Um, secondary's got its issues. We know about that. Danico Slaughter gave up one play on the on the opening drive. But after that and after a pass interference call, he he brought the hit stick, and he, he looked like an animal back there. Uh, Trayvon Flowers didn't play in this game. Wesley Walker moved back to safety. He made some mistakes, but was in good position, had an interception. Tamari McDonald had a pick. Um, it was a fun game to watch uh, in, in terms of defense because it was like, okay, Clemson's going to move, but how was Tennessee going to stomp them before they got points on the board? And, and it, did, it did that all night. Yeah, and obviously Clemson helped by missing the field goals, but how many times have we talked about, um, you know, one of the keys for Tim Banks and one of the keys for the defense was, you know, hold teams to field goals in the red zone. Don't give up touchdowns, right? Uh, that was a little bit of that style of play. And um, Tennessee on third down was terrific on their side of the field. Uh, I think they gave up three third down conversions and 12 tries. Two of those came on the one scoring drive. Um, otherwise, they're really good on third down. Uh, mm -hmm. they, they they blitz a good bit on third down. They played some coverage on third and long and got home with their, their front four. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, it, it was good. Uh, are there things they can do better? Yeah, I mean, they don't want to give up that many yards and all those types. I get all of that. But when, when the when, when it was time to make a play, they got off the field. And that's growth um, out of a defense that has grown all year. They had one bad night, and it, they picked a bad night to have a bad night, oh, yeah. and they had a really bad night. So for Aaron Beasley, I, I'm I, I'm – I don't want to say dumbfounded, but but I'm just impressed with with his growth. You know, here's a guy that nobody knew if he had a position to play. Eric, I mean, he was a he was a safety, and he was a linebacker, and he was a running back, and he's back to linebacker. And what can he do? He's not really an outside guy. Is he going to be big enough to play inside? I, I thought this was his best game overall, just because of how well he played in space and the patience he played with Eric. I, I mean. He's a fast player, but I didn't think he played too fast. I actually think he benefited by playing a little slower. Uh, once they got, once Clemson really got into the quarterback read stuff and the zone read stuff, they gave up a few plays. Aaron Beasley had a couple of really nice plays on the zone read because he he played slow. Mm -hmm. He didn't overrun something. He 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 read what was coming and and slowed down a little bit. And as a result, he got a a tackle for loss out of it. You mentioned the pass interference call that was close. Yeah. He was in really good position there. He had another tackle or two in the open field on wide receiver screens. He made a great read on the fourth down play with Shipley. I, I mean, from a physical standpoint, he's proven that he can play, right? I mean, he can blitz. He can run fast. What he showed me in this game 
is that he's becoming a linebacker, mm-hmm. not just an athlete playing the position because of his patience, because of his eyes. I, I just thought he played really good f- football. And, and I, I don't I don't know if that makes sense, but I, but I thought just the way he played the position was the best we've seen him play it all year long. And he's had a good year. Yeah, we hear so much, uh, you know, when Tim Banks gets in front of the media, and, and usually we ask this about Jeremy Banks, the linebacker who didn't play in this game, but kind of how's Jeremy Banks progressing, yada, yada. He said, you know, he's doing well, his aggression we love, but it's about playing within himself, playing within the system, not being a bull in a china shop. Slow down, read your keys, and see what's happening. Call it the triangle, guard, center, back to the quarterback. It's the triangle. You know, read that front line through to the backfield, find the football, and then go make a play. And you're right. I mean, Aaron Beasley, he was patient. That that read option, um, you know, really, really patient. The blitzes, and this is something you pointed out in your 10 things I think I think, or 10 things I think I learned over at VolQuest.com. You know, one of those sacks, uh, or both of his sacks, he was patient, let the movement up front develop, and then he went. And, you know, so many times you're amped up and ready to go, and you kind of take yourself out of a play. But um, he was phenomenal. He's had a good year. He started off the season really well. Juwan Mitchell was not available for the first two games, and it was uh, Beasley, Banks, and Page. And, and, and Aaron Beasley had 22 tackles and two games, and was, was playing really well. Um, and then he was still part of that rotation. He's had a strong year, led the team in tackles, uh, but he was phenomenal on, on Friday night. And I think that's a credit. And another example, Brent, who, sure, did the defense take as big of a step from last year to this year as you'd want? Probably not, but it got better. Look at the stat sheets and look at the individual play of some of those players. Aaron Beasley is just one example of how this coaching staff has shown that they're developing some players from one year to the next. Yeah, I mean, they are. And, and, you know, I I think Danico Slaughter, it took them too long to get to Danico Slaughter, okay? But Danico Slaughter should play somewhere in this secondary whether it's the nickel spot, whether it's corner. Um, you know, I think he's too good in coverage to play him at safety unless you're going to change up some of your some of your coverage stuff. I think he can play man. I, I think we saw that in, in the way that he could do it. But but he's got he's to play coverage for this team. He, he's got to be on the field uh, and be a part. But you saw his development there. I think Bryson Eason's another guy that's getting better and better and starting to figure it out, right? Tyree West. I and mean, we can go on and on about some guys – that I think it's good to see. Now, there's some other guys that have to be more consistent. They've got to find answers in the secondary. There are plenty of things to to, to go and, and fix, and they're by far from a finished product. Um, but I tell you what, they, they play tough on defense. They're really, really solid against the run all year long. They've got to clean up their secondary, as we mentioned. But um, you have an identity of what Tim Banks wants to do. And that w- what they did, you know, most of the year and certainly what they did against Clemson Friday night um, is what you want to see out of Tim Banks, right? I mean, yeah, they gave mm-hmm. up some yards, but then when they, when they had the opportunity, they attacked, they blitzed, they got off the field and, and did some solid things. So, um, you know, that's not a great Clemson offensive line. Clemson's got plenty of questions. If you're a Clemson fan, you're asking a lot of those right now, Tennessee fans, you're going, how many more days do we get to play again? Because you like, you like where you're heading. You think that, that you know, you feel like everything's going in the right direction. And you should feel that way. I don't think there's I don't think there's any question about that. We're gonna flip the conversation over to offense, talk about the MVP of this bowl game here in just a moment, Joe Milton and everything Tennessee did without some heavy hitters. But before we do that, let's take a couple of your questions here. Yeah. Uh Sam says the BYU transfer who is Keenan Peely, 
Um, he's been out of action for a while due to injury. Is he going to be able to help? Brent, that's a question that I'm often I'm also wondering as well. He played this year. He missed most of 2021. He got off to a really hot start in 2021, and then towards ACL, missed the rest of that season. He played this year, but he was not um, he was not as flashy, I guess, as he was in 2020 and 2021. Now, still a productive player. You know, started started every game, had 60 some on tackles. Um, I think Tennessee is not only going to count on him to play, but play a big role uh, for those linebackers in this defense next year. Yeah, and I, typically year two after the ACL is better than year one. You know, you feel like that thing's getting better uh, and, and, and you're back to 100%, so you hope that that would be the case. Tennessee needs a veteran to, to go with, with Aaron Beasley out there. I like those young guys. I mean, I think we all do. But, but are they ready? How quickly can they get ready? And the one thing we've seen out of Brian Jean-Marie – and I think every layer of this defense has to do this, Eric. Let me think about it. As well as we're sitting here talking about Tennessee bowing their neck, bending, not breaking, and things that did. Played a hundred over a hundred snaps in that game. Oh, no. It's a lot of snaps. You're gonna play that many snaps. You know, you're gonna play in the in the seventies, eighties, nineties, and snaps. Um, you, you got to play a lot of people, and you're gonna have to rotate. I, and I think I think Brian Jean Marie did a really nice job this year of rotating those three linebackers, evening out those reps to where. Everybody was ready. There wasn't a big drop-off without Jeremy Banks there, right? Jeremy Banks is a good player. I don't want to sit here and say he's not, but they, they didn't miss him much on, on Friday night, okay, because they played really well at that linebacker position. Um, but the transfer's got to help, and, and you've got to continue to bring these guys along. There are five young linebackers on this team. Two of them just completed their first year, um, and three of them just arrived. And, and those five are going to be five really good core players for Tennessee. How quickly can you get those guys together? I think you take a veteran linebacker to help in the development of those guys so you can get that rotation going, that you're not just that green out there, uh, you know, during the season next year as you, as you build your, your depth and build your, your experience with those guys. And again, remember, too, we talk about those three guys, that three rotation and, and Banks and Beasley and, um, and Mitchell this year. Solon Page still got anywhere from 10 to 17 snaps a game as well. So he wasn't a part of that true rotation, but he got his as well, and Again, on Friday night, he was ready to come in. Talking about Beasley, Solon Page, career day, 10 tackles in his last game for Tennessee. One more question before we hit the reset. Dan, actually, it's two questions from Dan. Is Tennessee a preseason top 10 team next year? I have absolutely no clue, Brent. And will Hooker get drafted? If so, what range? Hooker will get drafted, and I would imagine probably uh, you know mid-round guy in Hendon Hooker. I think the the ACL injury will, will send him back a little bit. It's not going to kill him there, but... Probably anywhere from maybe a two, but I would say probably three or four. What, what do you say, Brent? Uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, he's not going to be able to throw. He's not going to be able to work um, with, with guys, which will hurt him a bit. Um, yeah, he's going to get drafted. I, I don't think there's any doubt that, that he will get drafted. It will not be as high as it would have been had he not been injured, which is really unfortunate. Uh, but, you know, he's in great spirits. His rehab, he said, was going well when I talked to him in, in Miami. Um, he's going he's gonna to be off the charts. Eric, when he, when he visits with GMs and scouts oh, yeah. in the interview setting, he'll be really good on the board. Uh, there'll be a lot of people just, to, you know, they want to make sure he's physically okay, and that, that'll knock him down a bit. But somebody's going to take him uh, with the idea that he's a development guy, right? Not, not with the idea that he's going to be ready to play right out of the gate or anything like that. I don't, you know, there's, there's some – C.J. Shroud made money, right, from, from Ohio State. He made money. Saturday night mm -hmm. helped himself. Will Levis has not made money this year. Uh, what does what this recruiting you know, quarterback draft look like? Somebody's going to take a chance on Hendon Hooker and, and believe that the ACL is going to be 100%. So he'll get drafted. As for the top five or top 10 next year, 
I've not looked at everybody, but one of the places where you start by putting people high in, in the rankings is the quarterback spot. Okay. Last time you saw Tennessee's quarterback play, we're going to talk about it in the next segment. It was pretty good, right? Alabama's going to have unknowns at quarterback. Ohio State will have unknowns at quarterback. Obviously, TCU and a lot of these other teams out there will have unknowns at the quarterback position, which is a huge question mark when it comes to rankings. So I think Tennessee will get plenty of love in the, in the offseason and the preseason, and I think that'll be a challenge for the leadership of this team. Are they going to be able to have that chip on their shoulder? They believed all summer, spring, and summer long they were a lot better than national people were giving them credit. I think they're going to get some national love this offseason. How does this team handle it from a leadership standpoint? That's something everybody's going to be looking at in the coming weeks and months before Tennessee returns to action 244 days from today. Start the countdown. Start the countdown. And the man who completed 19 of 28 passes for 251 yards and three touchdowns uh, will be the likely you know, as it sits right now, the likely leader of this offense. Of course, that'll be settled out in the spring. We'll talk Joe Milton, this Tennessee offense, and, of course, Tennessee continuing to uh, put it to Clemson all four quarters long the other night, 31-14, to 14, the final score in the Orange Bowl. That is coming up next as you watch and listen to us right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Tennessee wins 31-14 over Clemson in the Capital One Orange Bowl, picking up its 11th win. First time Tennessee's won 11 games since all the way back in 2001. I'm Eric Kane, along with Brent Hubbs here on the Rocket Top Rewind. Uh, we'll talk hoops coming up here in a moment with Grant Ramey. We'll have Austin Price on later in the show. And we're going to take your questions all night long. Well, up until 9 o'clock when we get off here. Super Chats get bumped to the front of the line. But as always, we appreciate you guys for watching and supporting us here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Brent, Joe Milton, man, um, he you know, he looked pretty good. He completed about 67, 68% of his passes. I'm, I mentioned the stats a moment ago, 251 yards, three touchdowns. And this is something that Austin said for a couple of weeks now. And this is something t Tennessee did, you know, how they called the game for him. A lot of intermediates, crossing routes, not a whole lot of deep passes, though he was good throwing the deep ball on Friday night. I think that gained him confidence. That obviously moved the chains and Tennessee's offense. It didn't get as many yards as it normally would. It didn't get. It didn't score as many points as it normally would. But Clemson's defense is good, and but Tennessee's offense didn't skip a beat with Joe Milton, the Orange Bowl MVP, under center. Yeah, I mean Clemson's linebackers are terrific, and, and their no. defensive front's good. And because of that, it, it helps their secondary a good bit as well. Um, you know, somebody asked me, you know, if Tillman had been healthy, would he have gotten 
been able to high point one or two of those deep balls that Ramel Keaton couldn't bring in. I, maybe, you know, I, I don't know that. Uh, but here's the thing I know about Joe Milton, and, and here's where I was impressed with Joe Milton uh, live and, and was really impressed with him again upon rewatch. Um, is I, I think his eyes were really good, Eric. I, I think I think he had kept his eyes downfield. He didn't get caught up in the clutter around him. Um, he didn't force anything. He didn't take chances. He played within the system. As Joey Halsley told me after the game, he completely trusted the system and trusted what was what was being called, lived to play the next play. His intermediate stuff was really good. I thought he missed one slant that he should have had on third down. Um, that was just not a great ball. Um, just, just was a miss, and that's going to happen. Nobody's going perfect. Um, he didn't overthrow Squirrel White. Um, the deep ball to Ramel Keaton for a touchdown – he laid that out there. Keaton was so wide open. He just laid it out there. Keaton slowed down to catch it. Um, but that's what you want him to do. The last thing you want to do is overthrow a guy who's 20 yards open, right? And, and they didn't do that. So um, I, I thought Joe played well. And I was I was, I was, was surprised. It's not a knock on Joe. I, I mentioned this in 10 things. I'm always a little weary of a quarterback who's always dancing pregame and smiling and laughing and doing backflips and – you know, he was catching fades during warmups, one-handed fades, like he was Odell Beckham Jr. And you know, you're kind of looking at that, and that's not that's not the nature of the position. But that's Joe, and Joe didn't get away from being who Joe was, and he played uh, with his personality, but he played within the framework of what they wanted to do. And um, there's no Tennessee fan that left that stadium if they were there or turned off the TV Friday night going. Man, I, I just, we're we're in we're in bad shape for next year. You left that game. You turned the TV off. Going, you know what? This is gonna be okay. Okay. I mean, we'll, we'll see where Nico is and everything. But if this is how Joe Milton's gonna play, Tennessee gonna have a chance to win a bunch of football games. And um, that was a really nice performance by Joe Milton mentally more than physically. Really nice performance mentally. Yeah, I thought it was really good. And, and I'm with you. I, I had some pause going into the game because, um, and, and not trying to knock uh, his performance that we've seen so far, but we gotta know. You know what Joe Milton is. Uh, we saw him in a couple games last year. We saw him in mop-up duty this year where it was obvious that he did improve. Um, he was relaxed. Um, and in the Vanderbilt game, I don't know how much we can take from that because Tennessee, you know, had the lead getting off the bus and it was a monsoon and sideways rain, all that type of stuff. But I, I felt like I kind of seen enough. I've seen enough to know what to expect from Joe Milton. Um, and and he, he was much better than that on Friday night. Will it always be that good? No, it's just nature of football, right? But he was really, really good. Arguably, now people are going to say the, the best ball he threw all night was to, to Ramel Keaton, and that's deservingly so. We just talked about it. Also, shout out to Ramel Keaton. The double move, and he made sure to post it on his Twitter account on Sunday. The double I move Ramel Keaton. Yeah, but put, put him on skates, man. He was wide open. My favorite throw from Joe Milton the other night was to squirrel wide in the back of the end zone. He's sitting there in the pockets. As you pointed out on 10 things you th you thought you learned, Darnell Wright had a really nice block, you know, going on the inside, then getting a hand on the outside pressure to move him upfield. He's getting pressure from the other side. He steps one step up in the pockets. He double clutches and then fires an absolute missile to the back of the end zone to squirrel wide. I mean, hella arm strength. Um, that was an impressive play, a really impressive play. And just another example of how he didn't panic. He stuck with this guy. He trusted those around him to create a pocket, and he went and made a play. That was a really, really nice play, and that put Tennessee up two scores at the time. He made a couple of plays like that. I just I can't say enough of what um, you saw from Joe Milton on Friday night. Was Tennessee's offense perfect? No. There was a ton of punts in this football game. And, again, you're going up against a good defense. 
but Joe Milton made some really, really good throws to where it should give everybody, as you pointed out, confidence moving forward. If it is Joe Milton, which it likely will be, Tennessee's going to win some games. Yeah, his feet were really good in the pocket. I mean, he, he didn't – he when he had to move with his feet, he moved his with his feet with his eyes downfield. He didn't move his feet by dropping his head and looking for a run lane. He was looking to extend a play with his feet, which I think is what Joe needs to do, right? I mean, he's a different runner than Hendon, okay? He's not going to scramble the way Hendon does. And if somebody's in complete man coverage, then then he may be able to get away and, and have a run or two like that. But he's not got the wiggle to make a bunch of people miss and dance around here and there. So slide step, step up in the pocket with your eyes downfield, looking to extend the play. He did that on, on multiple occasions, uh, and I thought it was good. The one interesting perspective from our vantage point, and I, and I had binoculars on, so it made it a little bit easier to see, but because oftentimes, Eric, we were behind the play if they were going the other direction. If you had your binoculars there, you could see windows opening, and you could see the quarterback throwing in windows. And the one thing I give Joe credit for, and Joey Halsley mentioned this afterwards, but you could see it live, and you could see it some in the in the re, in the rewatch, was he threw guys open. He threw guys to guys moving. He did not wait till a guy was completely in the window like he was running a button hook, squatted down going, hey, throw me the ball, right? He threw into that window knowing the receiver was coming in the window. Look at the number of times guys caught the ball on the move, whether it's a crossing pattern to, to Princeton fan or whether it's a slant. He threw it to where guys were coming to because he trusted his receivers and, and he, he had his timing down. I thought early in his tenure at Tennessee, his first couple of games, and he got away with it in the opener against Bowling Green because they weren't very good. But, but he waited till guys were completely wide open before he threw the football. And you can get away with that with that arm strength to a degree. But for his complete effectiveness in this offense, you got to throw into those windows as guys are moving in there. And, and he did that. His timing with those receivers on the intermediate stuff uh, was really good. I think it's been good all year. I just don't – I think they chose not to throw it against Vanderbilt with the big lead. I think that's where he's improved the most. I know everybody wants to see more deep ball completions. Um, and the you know the Keaton one and the Squirrel White one were were real positives, but for me the biggest growth of Joe Milton is his trust and belief and timing in this offense through the middle of the football field. Yeah, and everybody want to talk about um, you know Joe Milton and the deep balls and all that. Uh, let me pull it up right here. Joe Milton was four. Joe Milton was four of seven for 140 yards and three touchdowns, throwing deep. Uh, the other night but again all that was set up by the short and intermediate passing game and so I, I think once you build confidence you're moving the change you're having a good night and you and you air it out a little bit I mean that just kind of helps everything there um I'm gonna take some of your questions here it's Tennessee we're discussing Tennessee's win over the Orange Bowl over Clemson in the Orange Bowl 31-34 see I had it here a moment ago somebody was asking about the unsportsmanlike from Josh Heupel there in the first half I'll say this essentially it's Michael right here what did what did he say or what did he do what did he say? I don't know. We'll never know what he said. But essentially, the umpire was standing over the football, and that was not allowing Tennessee to go as fast as Tennessee wanted to go. Brent, that was a – and he'll, he'll be the first to say this. That was a really bad penalty. That was a horrendous penalty. Tennessee was first, first and goal, second and goal on the four, backed it up to the 19. Tennessee still scored. That was a bad penalty. Obviously, Heupel doesn't make mistakes like that often. That's probably the first time it's ever happened, to my knowledge. That was a bad penalty, but that's what that was about. Tennessee was trying to go fast, and the umpire was standing on the football. 
Yeah, and it had been lingering, but the, you're right. You don't do that on first and goal. You don't you don't put yourself in a situation. Now, I, I think Josh Heupel probably thinks he didn't deserve the penalty. He didn't say anything worthy of the penalty. I text. I'll be honest with you. I don't want to sound like Austin here, but I did text him last night and, and, and told him congratulations and said uh, on the win. And I said someday you're going to have to tell me what you said because that looked like a Bull Durham moment, right? I mean, you, you remember that scene in Bull Durham where, oh, where yeah. Crash Davis got thrown out of the game. And it was one of those, you know, the two ladies, Susan Sarandon's like, oh, no. And I'm not going to say the word he said. And I'm not saying Josh Heupel said that, but that's what it was like. <laughs> that official threw that flag violently. I mean, he didn't just drop the flag. I mean, he, he threw it like he was an umpire trying to run a guy off the out of the out of the dugout yeah. into, the, into the locker room. Uh, so whatever was said, it wasn't just that he was out of the coach's box. It was whatever was said, you know, yielded that and. Uh, you're right. I mean, Tennessee got away with it, but that could have been a really costly penalty at that point in the ball game. You don't want to do that. Um, but they, that's what he was hot about is uh, that Big Ten crew was uh, very, very deliberate in marking the football when Tennessee was not substituting. And uh, it did not set up well with a head coach who felt like he had Clemson on, on their heels and he wanted to attack. Last thing I want to hit on here before we ship to hoops with Grant Ramey coming up. Tennessee won its SEC opener on the road, and then we'll get back more into football talk later in the show with Austin Price. Um, Austin, not Austin Price, Austin A wants to know, losing Darnell, can the offensive line be as good in 23, or will they probably take a step back? Uh, this Tennessee offensive line was a Joe Moore semifinalist, meaning it was one of the top five offensive lines in the country. Now, Tennessee's offense led the nation in scoring and total yards. Somebody's got to block for them, right? Um, Darnell Wright's been fantastic. Tennessee's going to miss Darnell Wright. Tennessee's going to miss Jerome Carvin. There's some guys who have played and will step up and everything. Um, who's to know if Tennessee's offensive line won't be as good? But Tennessee will miss Darnell Wright because he was an absolute force really the past two years uh, amongst his four years of starting on the offensive line for Tennessee. Unbelievable durability. I mean, played every snap. I don't think he missed a snap on offense this year. Not sure he missed a snap last year either. Um, you know, he got taken out of the game when games were out of hand, but 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 didn't have any injury issues, thankfully, and uh, has really grown into his own. I loved his comments after the game, Eric, just that, that, that we had in the story today about his relationship with Glenn Ellerby and how Glenn taught him the game. And he wasn't just trying to survive on athletic ability. He had really learned the game under Glenn Ellerby. Uh, to grow and develop as a player. They're going to miss that right side of that offensive line because they're right-handed heavy in the run game um, with, with, with Carvin and, and with Darnell over there. Um, they're they're going to miss that. On the left side, you know, they played they played several snaps, I guess, on the drive that maybe it's the drive Josh Heupel got the, got the penalty on. I don't remember which drive it was, but they played several snaps with J.J. Crawford and Ollie Lane on the left side of that offensive line and didn't really miss a beat. Now, is that to say, hey, everything's going to be fine? They're going to plug those guys in? Or is that to say, eh, they're just kind of okay on the left side, right? Um, because I think, again, they're they're pretty right-handed dominant. Uh, if you look and see where they helped in pass protection was on the left side, not the right side. Um, so they're going to greatly miss Darnell Wright. We'll, we'll see what kind of answer and, and what kind of – who emerges, who steps up. Do they get a transfer? I, I think you need another tackle body if you can get a transfer. We after the kid in Miami – Austin will update everybody on that one in just a bit. But we know that they're trying to get a tackle there. They've taken the kid from Texas, who I think ultimately is going to be a guard. Uh, and he may slide in and play right guard in place of Jerome Carvin. Uh, we'll see. Um, the one thing I th – and, and I don't know this because 
I mean, look at my physique, right? I was a big lineman. I played a, I played a lot of guard in my life, right, Eric? Um, but <laughs> yeah. it doesn't feel like this has to be a road grading offensive line to be an effective offensive line in this offense. You, you need to be athletic. You need to be able to move. Uh, but there's so much of the zone scheme there that, that I don't think they're asking people to drive. Now, they're better in short yardage this year, which means they improved in that area of football. But I think, you know, big picture, you know, open field football, open drive football in the run game, you don't have to road grade everybody. They, they want to be able to pull their guards. They want to be able to pull the center if they can, even a tackle in their run game for some of that zone stuff. But um, it's a little bit different style of run game. It's it's kind of the new age of running, running the football, right? It's not the old school um, sort of smash it up the way they were. I'm not saying they're not physical, but it's – it's a different brand than, than kind of the old eye formation. Two tights line up and hammer it straight down somebody's throat. Biggest thing you got to be able to lock down. You've got to be able to move because they do they do use those tackles to kick out a lot of the times, and they'll take that guard to to pull around and, and be that lead blocker. So that's why a guy like Larry Johnson is someone I'm super intrigued with because he is a mm-hmm. massive human being. Can he move? We'll find out, and of course, we'll see what Tennessee's offensive line looks like next year. Uh, but a lot of time between now and then, we'll have plenty of discussions on that over the spring practice periods. Uh, let's get into a little Tennessee hoops. Tennessee picked up a win on the road. It wasn't easy, 63-59 at Ole Miss. That came Wednesday night, the SEC opener. Grant Ramey was on hand. We'll talk with Grant and Tennessee basketball. There's Grant right now. We'll just roll right into it. <laughs> hey, Grant, tell us about right Tennessee. Yeah, we'll just go right into it. Uh, tell us about Tennessee's win in Oxford the other night. I think it was a little bit closer than what we imagined, but a win's a win, and Tennessee got its first in the SEC. Something about that gym, it feels like it's never easy. It doesn't matter what Tennessee's yeah. record is or ranking is. I think they were number six in 2019 when it was a Grant Admiral team, the team that won 31 games and went to the Sweet 16, and they were down three, I think, in the final minute, and they had to come back, and Admiral take, uh, Grant scores, and Admiral takes that charge about 40 feet away from the bucket to win that game. So something about Kermit Davis and something about that Ole Miss program that he has, it doesn't matter where Tennessee's ranked or what's going on, uh, it's a tough game. The other night, that was the first time they had trailed at halftime this season. Uh, they didn't hit a lot of shots in the first half. Ole Miss hit a lot of shots that you could tell they're not going to hit those shots the entire game. Uh, they, I think Rick Barnes said after the game they had a lot of guys hitting those shots that aren't by the numbers, those guys that hit those shots consistently. And their defense kind of turned it up in the second half, and they, they rolled pretty well there in the second half. So I think it was a good answer. Anytime you can go on the road in this league and get a win, I think it's a big deal. Uh, it doesn't matter where you're going or who you're playing, uh, and especially when you're going uh, a couple days after Christmas, opening the league schedule on the road like they have in the last couple of years. Uh, it's a big one. Yeah, that's challenging game when you think about it. I mean, Tennessee gets back on Christmas night, which we know travel was not easy for anybody. So I don't know that everybody got back in exactly when they were supposed to. And then they turn around and leave basically the next day to go to Ole Miss or on Tuesday to go to Ole Miss to play. I mean, you're away from the gym for about three days and and it's not easy to get back into. I want to ask Grant about about Jonas Adu. Um, Can he do that? I mean, is that – can he become – that type of player, I'm not saying 13 every night rebounded a basketball, right. but can he be that kind of guy to, to really be the rim protector, rebounder that this team needs? I think he can be. Um, I think he's going to have to be in the future. I don't know how consistently it's going to happen right now. You look at the last two games, one of those being Austin P. that is what it is, but to go to Ole Miss and be as big as he was in the second half, uh, a guy that they, they really couldn't take off the floor. I think he played 15 minutes after halftime. 
uh, the other night at Ole Miss. Um, he had 10 and 8, I think, against Austin P. Then he had, what, 9 and 13 at Ole Miss, so three blocks. He had that one possession where he had back to back blocks right there uh, in the paint. I mean, this is the guy that, that he can, can become. I don't know when he's going to get there. If it's going to be this year, it's huge. I think he's trending towards uh, Urosh's minutes are trending down and, and Jonas's minutes are trending up. And for good reason, because Jonas has been the better player. Urosh has not been very productive of late. He's still in the starting lineup. I don't know if that uh, if that continues. Rick actually said the other night that, that in practice they had messed around with Tobey Awaka and Jonas Adu as the, the two big men with that first group. Now, Tobey turned his ankle the day before the Ole Miss game and he hadn't practiced. And he wasn't going to get the regular minutes at Ole Miss. But I do think going forward that a Jonas and Tobey pairing is possible. And I think uh, Jonas at some point might uh, slip into the starting lineup because at the rate he's playing right now, if he continues this way, you're going to have to find ways to get him more minutes. And then one of those ways would be to, to start him and then see how he starts the game. Grant looks like Vescovy is really starting to find a stroke again. I mean, he was only three of seven from uh, from three-point land, but that's what the second, maybe the third straight game where the points are starting to get back to right. him. He was shooting um, historically, you know, for his career worse than he ever has, but at 22 points, 8 of 14 overall from the field, uh, free throw shooting was not great. But, you know, how big is it for, you know, Santi to, to be shooting the way he is? And, of course, I think for Tennessee that's that's massive because there's not a whole lot of offensive firepower, and when you're not getting it from Vescovy – you might not be getting it on that night. Right. It's huge because I think he was three for seven at Ole Miss. I think the team was three for 15. So if he doesn't hit those three shots, yeah. they go over the three-point line, and they just can't do that. But there, there was one possession where Tennessee had tied it. I think Jonas do tied it in the paint on one end. Ole Miss goes down, hits a three. It actually starts to get loud in the building a little bit. Then uh, Tennessee goes the other way, and Santi pulls up for a transition three to tie the game again. I mean, that was a huge shot. And in these last couple of games, he went five for five from the three-point line against Austin P. And to hit three more at Ole Miss, yeah, it's, it's going to have to be – he's going to have to be the guy that consistently hits those shots. And you were kind of concerned before that, before the Austin Peay game, if that shoulder that he had sprained a couple weeks prior to that was was affecting his shot because he had just never shot it as poorly as he had percentage-wise uh, before the last couple times out. So if he is finding his stroke like it looks like he is, that's huge for Tennessee because he's going to have to be that guy there. Every night it's going to be – they're not great offensively. It's not going to be fun to watch on the offensive end. It's going to be a matter of can they score X number of points um, more than whatever their defense is going to give up because their defense is going to be elite. Uh, their defense is more often than not going to give you, you know, 50, 60 points, something like that. If you can outscore that defense, that's going to have – that's how they're going to live night in and night out. And, and a big part of that's going to be Santi and, and hitting those shots. All right, Grant, two questions for you. Question number one. Um, can Santi play 36, 37 minutes a night from now on, like he's doing right now, and, and hold up? Two, where is where is Key in this offense? Where's Tyreek Key in this offense? And and what can they – I mean, is he overwhelmed? What's going on with Key offense? I'll start with that one. I think I know the answer to Santi, the Santi question, but I wanted to ask it anyway. Go ahead. Key, I, I don't know. What, what we saw from Key in October was he looked like a different player. And, and we had heard all the stuff about him all summer, but you never really want to buy on that until you see it with your own eyes. And, and when we went to Texas and watched that Gonzaga exhibition and he played the way he did in that game, we saw it with our own eyes and we thought he was going to be that guy. I don't know if ball handling is an issue where they've put the ball in his hand a little bit and that's kind of thrown him off because he's never been a point guard. He's always been a shooting guard. He's always been off the ball. But he's had to be that guy that handles the ball a little bit for Tennessee. I don't know if that's the issue. I don't know if it's just – 
consistently playing at this level that's been an issue. I don't know. They, they need more from him because he's shown he's capable of giving them more. But I don't really know what the problem is right now. He still does rebound the ball, and he has some assist numbers, so he does affect the games in other ways. I think he plays good defense. Uh, I think he's a veteran presence and, and brings some leadership to this program. But they do need more from him production-wise because he is a shooter. He can knock down shots like Santi can. He can get, when he gets going, like we saw against Gonzaga, he can score it. Um, I don't know what the, what's holding him back, if it is ball handling that's kind of thrown him off or whatever, but they got to get more out of him because he's shown that he can do more. Santi, I do think 100% could play 36 minutes a night. Him and Zakai are two guys. I don't I don't think I'd ever worry about the numbers they're playing, How you know, what kind of toll it's going to take. I think they're two guys that can play 40 minutes a night, seven days a week, and, and just keep running out there and playing. Um, the factor with Santi is he just gets game planned against so hard every night it's going to be can they get him open? Can they scheme him open? Can he knock down enough shots? He's got to take more than two shots, though, to be a scorer. I mean, he, yes. he, he, I didn't think he was looking to score in the Ole Miss game. Now, maybe maybe, maybe the windows and, and you know, maybe he's not getting as open at this level in the Indy, when he was in the Indy. Some hesitation. I don't know. But he, to me, he didn't look like he was trying to score the ball at Ole Miss. No, and that's something that they had that closed-door scrimmage against Michigan State, uh, the first thing that they did in the preseason, and he didn't shoot the ball the entire first half. And at halftime, they told him, we didn't bring you in here to not shoot the ball. Like, go out there and shoot the ball. That's why you're here, because you've been a scorer all your life, and we need you to be a scorer. And he told them at the time, I haven't played the, I haven't played an organized game in a year and a half because of the shoulder injury that kept him out last year at Indiana State um, and affected him the year before. So that made sense that there was a little bit of adjustment for him to get his feet wet. Um, back on the floor, back in that level of competition. Now maybe, yeah, you're, you're right, facing the defenses that he's going to face at this level. Um, I don't know. But they need to emphasize to him that he's going to have to find a way to take his shots because uh, the, the amount of offense on this team, it's, it's not great. And they need somebody to step up and, and help Zakai and help Santi and help whoever's scoring in the post, Olivier or Jonas or, or whoever it is, because they have to find something offensively to be a little bit better to help this defense hold up. Granted, a guy that's not scoring in the post right now is Julian Phillips. And, you know, he had 25-pointer, you know, a couple of weeks ago, 18-16, not long after that. Here lately, it's been six points, two points, nine points, four points. Um, you know, freshman going through some growing pains, of course. He's not coming out of the starting lineup, to my knowledge. But uh, what, what is what is Julian Phillips looking like offensively and kind of what's the talk around his offensive game? Rick, uh, Rick says this, and I've heard him say, I remember him telling Admiral Schofield this, and Admiral, it clicked for him in a game at Florida uh, early in his career when he was struggling, kind of like Julian is right now. Just play defense and just do your thing on that end and forget about everything else and stop trying to force stuff offensively. We've seen from Julian how good he can be. Go back to that USC game in the Bahamas. I think he had 25 in that one. Saw how good he was in spurts and different other, uh, other games. But he's just going to have to drive the ball more. He's going to have to get to the foul line. His, his, the, the number of free throws he's shot is so much higher than any other player on the team. He's going to have to be that guy that gets to the foul line. Uh, he's going to be the guy. I don't know when he's going to knock down jumpers. I think he can. I think he can shoot from the three-point line. I think he can score at all three levels. Right now it feels like he's forcing a little bit. Maybe he's thinking about it a little bit too much. But he's got to get back to being the guy where he's just driving to the rim, making stuff happen, get to the foul line, find a little bit of a comfort zone there, and, and go from there. Hey, Grant, Herman Ellison has asked here in the comment section, how do you feel about the point guard position? Z is the true point guard. Any thoughts on kind of where they are at point guard right now? 
Uh, it's not great. You wish you had more depth there, but it kind of is what it is. The guy does need to be the guy. Uh, I think he's got to be the guy that plays 35, 36 minutes tonight. I think he has to stay in control. I think he gets a little bit out of control at times, and that bothers Rick with some turnovers here and there. Uh, that's why he got thrown out of the starting lineup like he did in November. But um, it's not great because you're asking Santi to handle the ball some. You're asking Tyreek Key to handle the ball some. Um, but but a good place to start is Zakai Ziegler. So if you've got him, if you can get 35 quality minutes out of him, keep him under control, uh, I think it's, it's in a decent spot. Not a great spot, a decent spot. AP just Ren, are they going to redshirt the midterm? Sorry, Eric. Are, are they? I mean, I know that's what he said. Is that is that realistic? Is that written in stone? Because we've seen some midtermers I think come it in is. Here. I think with Santi, that was the plan. And then Lamonte Turner decided to have season-ending shoulder surgery about the time that Santi was getting here. And they threw him into the starting lineup, and they're playing him 35 minutes from the jump. I don't see that being the case with this team because this team's winning basketball games. I mean, they are they're number three in the Ken Palm ratings or top ten team. Um, they're you know they're the betting favorite to win the, the SEC in, in Vegas right now. So I don't think you throw him in. I think the plan is whenever he gets here, uh, he's going to be a red shirt. He's going to go through the practices. He's going to kind of get a head start. Then he's going to go through the full uh, summer schedule with the Tennessee basketball program. So I think it's all about preparing him for next year. And his OTE numbers are great. He averaged 23.8 or something and, you know, six rebounds, five assists, and all this stuff. But he also averaged a ton of turnovers. So if you bring him in here and throw him in, he's going to be a guy that turns the ball over a lot. Maybe he's a guy that can score for you. But uh, I think in the best-case scenario, I think the only thing Tennessee's thinking about right now is Richard. I was going to say, AP just kind of jumped in here. So I, I assume you got a basketball question, Austin. What do you got for Grant? Well, Grant. <laughs> um, what? I know what you're saying there. Do you think there's any way if they continue to struggle offensively and Santi's not, you know, the shoulder's not fully healthy, that they're forced to just kind of go with like this guy off the bench who could potentially give him a pick-me-up offensively? I mean, I'm with you, like best laid plans, but, you know, he's at least a body, especially if Triple J is is nowhere to be found down the stretch. I mean – they, they've got to find more offense than, than they currently have. Uh, it, it can work against some teams, but I guess don't you think that, you know, to be where they want to be, they've got to find something, whether that's going with the DeLeon kid or, or, or Josiah coming back or something? I do think there's a better chance that Josiah can give them something moving forward than Freddie gets here oh, in place. Um, I, I think that's just the way they look at it. I think if they were struggling to the point where they weren't winning basketball games, where the defense slipped and the offense was, you know, is what it is, it's not very good, and the defense is no longer propping up that offense and things start going poorly, then maybe something changes. But the way Josiah warmed up at Ole Miss, I was wondering if he was going to play in that game because he went through the full warm-up. He did more than he's done a while now. I think he had some some good stuff at practice leading up to that old Miss game. So I think it's trending in a direction. I, now I don't know about Joe's availability in Mississippi State on Tuesday, but I do think it's trending in the right direction where I think he can help them at some point. Um, I don't know how long it's going to last once he does get back on the floor because we've seen him kind of jump in and jump out and, and, and miss some games and come back for some games and then miss some more games. Um, but I do think that's a much more likely scenario than Freddie. I just can't see Freddie playing based on what I've been told, unless it's just drastic measures. Don't you think, um, and I'm not punning on this season by any stretch of the imagination, but like with him coming in, go ahead and getting a basically a 
you know, a, a semester of, you know, running scout team and all that, unless Julian Phillips just goes bananas down the stretch, it's hard to see him unless he just makes a kind of a knee jerk thing and they go off potential um, him, him not at least giving coming back a real, a real look. Um, it just feels like next year's team could be set up early or than expected uh, if the th- right things go their way. For sure. I mean, you're going to miss Olivier Kamwa next year in the post, assuming he's not back. I don't think he will be, even though he could come back and use an extra year of eligibility uh, from COVID. Uh, but yeah, if, if Julian's not producing more than he's produced to this point, I don't see how anybody gives him a first round guarantee. And I think that's what he's looking for. Like most of the guys are in his situation. I don't know if you want to be a, a Kennedy Chandler and enter the draft and have that chance of sliding uh, to the second round like Kennedy did. Uh, but with Freddie's scoring ability um, and with him having half a season worth of practice under Rick and under the staff and then the full offseason and plugging him into to some of these guys that are coming back, Jonas, I do what we've seen from him, who he could be next season as uh, a Kai Ziegler third year in the program. Um, there's a lot of really good pieces on this team that aren't going anywhere, you would think. And, and if you're plugging Freddie in and Freddie having that head start and Freddie being the scorer that he is one of the best uh, at his level currently, uh, yeah, next year would be uh, – um, it's not by any means taking a step back because right now what they're doing is pretty elite uh, where they're headed right now defensively and kind of the way they're winning games and, and, you know, the way they're playing. So I think it's trending, continuing trend uh, in the right direction. Hey, Grant, last thing here, the SEC home opener that's going up on Tuesday, Mississippi State. You got an early scout on the Bulldogs, what they're going to bring to Thompson Bowling Arena. What's the uh, what's the over-under? Because hammer the under. Because Mississippi State's number six, I think, in Ken Palm uh, defensive uh, efficiency. Tennessee's number one. Uh, so I don't think there's going to be a ton of points scored. Chris Johns, he was at uh, New Mexico State, I believe, last year. I got hired to replace, uh, what's his name? Name, line, Ben, uh, what's his name? Ben Allen. I didn't, I didn't get my line. Uh, I think they started 11-0. and I wasn't um, listening, sorry. 10-0, and something like that. And they've lost their last two against Drake and Alabama. So, uh, they're a good basketball team. Chris Johns, he's going to bring in a ton of transfers every year. I assume. I think it's what he did to New Mexico State. But uh, it's going to be a rock fight. It's going to be two really good defenses. It's not going to be a lot of fun to watch offensively. Um, it's going to be a battle of, uh, you know, who can get to 50 points first. How, how many transfers? Thousands <laughs> of transfers, Grant. Thousand. Grant, appreciate it, man. Uh, and uh, we'll be uh, following your work here at, of course, Fall Quest and on throughout basketball season. See you, boys. All right. Thanks, Grant. Grant appreciate Ramey, Fall Quest, one of our coworkers who probably hates our guts after the last couple of days in Miami. But, <laughs> you know, it is what it is. Austin, what would you think of the Orange Bowl? I thought it was great. Um, you know, just from the standpoint of finally seeing Tennessee get back to that big of a game playing against Clemson. Um, no offense to Tulane, but that just wouldn't have been as much fun in Dallas and the Cotton Bowl. And, and, and I like that they were in one of the, you know, traditional big four. I mean, Cotton Bowl's massive, always has been. But, you know, when I was a kid, the big four were the Orange, the Fiesta, you know, the Rose, and, and you know, and the Sugar. And, and so to, to see Tennessee get to that, uh, you know, type of bowl game, to, to play the way they did defensively, um, Joe to play as solid as he did, and and then you know you know them just to go out and kind of take uh, take their eleventh win. You know, kudos to the team, man. Uh, you know that guy right that guy right there kind of personifies this whole team. You know, I if you'd told me three years ago that Princeton Fant would have the year he's had, 
in the versatile way that he's had it, I'd have told you you're crazy. And, and kudos to him. I mean, he was the afterthought when they brought in Malik Gray. He was the throw-in. And Malik Gray's been gone for feels like 17 years. And, <laughs> and, and you know, Princeton Fant there was, you know, I mean, you know, he was defeating father time out there, you know, and, and being father of the year all at the same time, um, you know, with his, with his daughter. Um, I don't know. I, it's hard not to root for him. I mean, I've known him since he was 17, 16, 17, and, you know, to kind of see everything he's been through and all the different positions he's played. I mean, he's played near everything. And, uh, you know, I just thought it was great to see him have the year he had. Yeah, a lot of guys on this team, and we, we talked about it earlier, Austin. I mean, one of the things, when you win 11, it's a great year, right? It's a fun year to cover. I mean, obviously, you're in a world of relevancy that, that every person covering a team wants to cover a team that's relevant that way. The other thing is about this team, a lot of good guys on this team. I yeah. mean, who have been through a lot, um, you know, have, have struggled to find their way. I mean, I, I think Princeton Fant, in a lot of ways, is is – a, a bigger version of Theo Jackson from, from his first year here, a guy who was an afterthought who throws in. We talked about Aaron Beasley and how he's emerged. Uh, to see a guy like Darnell Wright go from where he was with a world of potential to becoming an elite offensive tackle uh, with his personality. This was a fun team to cover. Besides the wins, the wins made it a lot better, don't get me wrong, but they were a fun group of guys to deal with. It'll, it'll long go down as one of my favorite – teams to cover because of the personality this team had and obviously the success they had on the field well jesse simonton has been gone from ball quest several years now but he coined the phrase butch jones orphans and there you know the other night you had fant and you had latrell bumfus and you had solon page all those are the butch jones orphans too i mean those were all those were all the guys that were in that last class of butch um that were still around thanks to COVID, and uh, and then Josh Heupel's come in and taken some of you know Jimmy Pruitt's players and developed them nicely. He's brought in players like we're seeing Brew McCoy right here. Um, it's just kind of like a nice collaboration of of uh, different teams and 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 you know different coaches, and and they've all just kind of gelled. And you know the the chemistry on this team was was really really good all year. And kudos to Joe Milton because a year ago he could have mailed it in. And he just kind of kept his head down and was a good teammate. And I think that's why all these players had Joe's back um, so hard. And also credit to Grant Ramey, who was just on for, you know, doing the Rookie of the Year video with Joe throwing the orange out like just a soft toss. <laughs> Have you not seen that on Twitter? Go find it on Grant's Twitter. It's it's next level awesome. Um, you know, but, you know, just your hubs, hubs hits the nail on the head. Just a bunch of good guys. I mean, it's hard to, you know – you know, every now and again, you just run into, you know, someone who's maybe a little difficult with in any program. But this year, man, it was just so many good kids. And I mean, it makes it easy to root for them um, to have success when you know kind of, you know, who they are behind the scenes. Hubber said this on the postgame pod, um, and this is more of an offseason discussion, but uh, I'm interested to see what Joe Milton is or who Joe Milton is without Hendon Hooker in the picture because uh, they were, you know, brothers, best friends, roommates. Hendon's putting in that work. Joe's going with him. Um, you know, Hendon's going to be gone. Will Joe carry on that? Will he? Uh, will he kind of take a back seat? I'll be interested to see that. But again, that's that's not that's not a question for now. That's certainly an answer we might find out next year. 
they were um, a great they were a great yin and yang yeah. because because Joe conversely helped Hendon and he 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 got Hendon to loosen up and have a little more fun on the football field and, and not be so stoic and not be so wound up he you know that they they played off of each other very very well and um that, that will be an interesting thing because I, I don't know that everybody understands the full dynamic of the relationship and how much they helped each other. I know there's been a lot of talk about Hendon, but Joe helped Hendon a lot for this season. Um, it will be fun. It will be in months for sure. By, by the way, did they, did they slip a lemon into that uh, into that bowl of oranges there? <laughs> kind of looks like it. It's not look- the right shade. That's not the right shade. That one's not right. That one got pulled too early. AP. <laughs> uh, Austin. So. The you know the one off is over the 2022 season is over. Happy New Year, by the way. Um, there's going to be stuff that's happening. I mean, you're you're already through one phase of the off season. Essentially, there's going to be transfer portal ingoing, outgoing. What do you expect from Tennessee? Maybe not names per se, but what do you like news wise, roster wise? What do you expect from Tennessee in the coming weeks here, starting tomorrow? Well, I mean, I think Tennessee will will you know have several visitors on campus this coming week, starting the fourth. Um, you know, I, I think Dante Thornton would be, you know, would be target number one. Um, John Campbell, tackle from Miami, would be target number two. We'll see if Marshawn Lloyd makes it. Um, a lot of people have him pegged for USC. Um, and, 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 you know, we'll see, we'll see what happens there. Um, and, and then we'll see what else Tennessee does. Does Tennessee look at a corner? Does Tennessee – you know, look at another tight end, you know, what what other spots does Tennessee look at? Do they look at some of those defensive tackles like Omar Norman Lott from Arizona State? At this point, it, it doesn't feel like Tennessee's going to be a real player for the, you know, a kid from tennis or from Texas State. Um, they're, he, he named him a finalist. Uh, no, no, the, the defensive lineman. Oh, yeah. Um, um, from Texas State, um, you're thinking about the North Texas tight end. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah, it doesn't feel like there's gonna be a real player there. Um, I think that's gonna be on you know t- Tennessee's end. Um, but uh, you know, I-, I think ultimately you're gonna see a wave, and who knows who goes in in this post bowl game wave that maybe piques Tennessee's interest a little bit over the next couple of weeks. And then finally, you put out something. Um... I guess it was it was before last week, but you put out the the dandy dozen for the class of 2024, 23 for all intents and purposes is over. Of course, there might be a name that pops up before February, but uh, 24 is a really good in-state class. Uh, there's a couple of uh, you know key prospects like Ron Wingo and others uh, that Tennessee has a lot of interest in who's been on campus and they've seen. Uh, what, what should we look out for in 2024 as there's going to be a couple of junior days, the 14th and the 28th in January, where uh, it's going to be full steam ahead for the class of 2024. Well, you're exactly right. Um, you know, I mean, I expect Tennessee to be a, a, a try to be a player. You know, with a few different running backs, um, tight end will be a, a big uh, area of interest in 2024. You've already got one in Eccles. I think t- Tennessee would love to add a second, and they need to be able to hold on to Eccles. I mean, you know, right now they don't have a tight ends coach, and so the quicker that Hypel can get somebody hired, uh, probably the easier it is to hold on to Eccles and land someone else. Um, and then I expect Tennessee just to, you know, to continue to work the offensive line extremely, extremely hard. Cam Pringle, Daniel Calhoun, 
Um, those are coveted players that you will have to beat out the best of the best for. But Tennessee's got to recruit tackles. Um, those are two of the top ones in the country. Again, those will be hard to land, but you still have to swing. They're in your footprint, uh, Calhoun being in Georgia and Pringle being in South Carolina. Hey, Brent, um, Austin just kind of brought that up right there. Tennessee still does not have a offensive coordinator and or tight end. Um, Josh Heupel's been focusing on the bowl game, finishing up this recruiting class. That hire, a tight end coach hire, is what Josh Heupel said on Tuesday earlier this week. He is going to hire a tight end coach. That's going to be made here in the coming weeks. I mean, that is next on the priority list, correct? I think so. I mean, they've got some GA spots to fill as well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that that's, you know, the, the direction they're going to go, you know, the next priority or the biggest thing. And I think he's made it clear they're they're definitely hiring a, a tight ends coach, Austin, and not an offensive coordinator. And, listen, I mean, I think Alex Gullis did a wonderful job while he was here. That, that, that offense – it ran fine in terms of a communication, getting plays in and all those things on Friday night. So everything Josh Heupel said leading up to that game um, certainly played out that way in terms of the relationship with Glenn Ellerby and Joey Halsey upstairs and, and kind of how they all, you know, ran through things. There was not any confusion from that standpoint. No, you're exactly right. And really when you think about, I mean, and I get Joe's been here, right? And he started two games last year and he started the Vanderbilt game. But, you know, to, to – be breaking in a, a pseudo new quarterback. I mean, it's not Hendon to be without two key playmakers or receiver. Like, you know, I, I thought you're right. The, the operations and all that stuff was smooth. And, uh, you know, I think that that, again, you know, if you, prom if you promote Halsley, uh, even if you say, Hey, Halsley, pass game coordinator, LRB running game coordinator, and then you hire a tight ends coach. If you go that route, it kind of gets the balance back normal because you don't normally see a tight ends coach as the OC. You know, um, you know, you normally see a quarterbacks coach with the OC. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think that ultimately this is going to be just a straight tight ends hired. You want to hire someone who can recruit and recruit the South. One more question out the door. We'll go to Austin A. Position group with the biggest question mark heading into 2023 and how do you solve that question? Let's just go around the room real quick. Put you on the timer 10 seconds. I will say tight end without a doubt. Tennessee's already addressed it a little bit in the portal. What officially will Jacob Warren decide to do? I will say tight end. Brent, what do you say? Uh, I would take tight ends, but I'm going to go with corner um, because they've got to find the answer there. Um, I think Danico Slaughter, again, should play in coverage somewhere. But what do the cornerbacks look like? Is it a young guy? Do they get a transfer? They've got to address their corner situation in their secondary, um, and, and we'll see what that looks like moving forward. I'll just go secondary. So I'll kind of echo hubs, but I'll just go more broad. Tennessee's got to get more athletic in the back end. That's, to me, not negotiable if you want to take a step forward as a defense. Again, what they were able to get out of this defense this year, which is really the same defense from last year, was really impressive on the whole minus the South Carolina game. But to me, you can take a huge step with all these young kids coming along in your program if uh, you're able to sure up the back end. And last thing, Austin, how many times have you played bottle flip so far today? Uh, zero. I only play that on planes when I don't have uh, Wi-Fi to pass the time. Being crazy, he's been, I've been he's playing been it. taking out his Christmas tree today. Look, I mean, we got we got a blank canvas behind him back there. So he's my wife busy. took this one down. I took the one downstairs down today, and uh, you know, between that and calling a few recruits, it's uh, and, and and playing horse or cat or Max or. Remy or whatever word my daughter wants to play with the basketball game and her uh, basketball goal in her room where we play, uh, you know, horse. We just changed the name around. 
Um, I've played many games of that today. Carissa asked me to take down the tree, but I showed her a bottle flip instead, and so we've been entertained <laughs> since we got back from Miami. I'm obsessed. You made her. All you right. made her take the garbage can to the end of the driveway, and now you're making her throw out her own tree. Good job. Welcome I to here for that, marriage. right? I you're here. off to a good start there, Eric Kane, in that marriage. <laughs> This is the Rocky Top Rewind. Every single Sunday night, 8 o'clock. Brent Hubs, Austin Price, Grant Ramey was on earlier. I'm Eric Kane. Appreciate you guys as always. If you're watching this on YouTube, please like this video. Let's get it to 500 likes. And if you haven't already, I encourage you to subscribe to the VolQuest YouTube channel. Awesome content there throughout the week. And as always, over VolQuest.com, your best coverage for Tennessee athletics, football, basketball, recruiting, baseball, whatever you got. It's at VolQuest.com. For the gods, I'm Mary Kane. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. We'll see you next Sunday right here on the Rocky Top Rewind. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.